Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, Mario Draghi over at the ECB fired his big bazooka today. People had pretty much anticipated that that would be the case. In fact, it seems like he fired a bigger blast than people were expecting. He announced that uh, the ECB would reduce further negative interest rates. They moved from negative 0.3 to negative 0.4. And he announced an expansion of their quantitative easing program from 60 billion euros per month to 80 billion euros, which means that their program is now larger than the Fed's. Because remember, we were doing $85 billion a month before we tapered it down. And so what the ECB is now doing is closer to 90 billion US dollars a month. But I guess the problem for the market is even though he fired a bigger blast than the markets had anticipated, after he fired it, He put that bazooka back in his holster. And what I mean by that is at the end of his press conference, Draghi mentioned that he thought that this would probably be the last cut, that minus 40 is about as low as the ECB is going to go. And that was it. Now, maybe the market was just looking for an excuse to reverse, but the euro, which had initially dropped sharply about 1.5% down on the day, following the initial announcement, reversed and ended up falling about 2%. So it was a 3.5% reversal. And from what I've read online, this is the biggest reversal ever 
in the euro from down to up. In fact, the dollar index went through four handles. Uh, at its highs this morning, the dollar index was at 98 and a half. And when it hit its lows, it was trading at 95 something. It managed to close at about 96.10 or 15, something like that, 96.20. Still down better than a buck on the day, but it was a huge reversal for the euro against the dollar. And of course, many people think this is a failure for the ECB because they want a weaker euro because they want more inflation. Well, look, I think the ECB is going to get more inflation whether the euro weakens or strengthens against the dollar because it's still going to weaken in real purchasing power. But again, just like I mentioned on the podcast yesterday from the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, Mario Draghi is saying that he doesn't have enough inflation and they need more inflation. And interestingly enough, Draghi is confident they're going to get more inflation, and he's right about that. They're going to get a lot more than he's bargaining for. But Draghi mentioned in his press conference that these things take time because it's going to take time for the inflation to develop because first we need the recovery to gain traction. We need to get a stronger recovery before we get inflation, as if inflation is a byproduct of economic growth. It's not. It's a byproduct of all the money printing. It's just that right now, a lot of that money printing is in the financial assets. But all this QE, negative interest rates and quantitative easing, they're not going to get economic growth. Now, maybe the eurozone economy will grow, but it's not because of QE. It's despite QE. In fact, they would have more growth if the ECB wasn't doing this. What they're doing is counterproductive, but ultimately they will succeed in generating inflation. In fact, they're going to get more than they bargained for. I do predict that the uh, prices, that the official measures of inflation in the eurozone will not only hit the 2% target or just below 2%, it will exceed it. And it will mean that the ECB is going to have to quickly withdraw that stimulus. They are going to have to raise rates much faster than they thought and much higher than they thought, but at least they'll do it. We can't. That is the big difference. Europe can afford higher rates. America cannot. And Europe, of course, is going to have the Bundesbank, which is going to be pressuring the ECB uh, to fight that inflation. There's going to be no such pressure coming on the Fed from the United States. Now, normally, too, when you do get the ECB easing, gold goes down. And that was the knee-jerk reaction. As soon as the announcement came out, the price of gold dropped about $15. But it reversed very quickly, and it ended up finishing up $19. We're talking about a $35 interday reversal. In fact, the low was below $1,240, just below. But, you know, ever since the price of gold closed above $1,250, it's never closed below $1,250. It's traded below it a couple of times, but it's never closed below it. And this is the highest close of the year. It's the first time I've seen gold close above 1270, close at 1272-ish. Gold stocks closed on their highs of the year. The GDX index of gold miners was up 4.5% today, closing, I think, above 20. It closed at 2038. This is the first close above 20 all year. It traded above 20 one other time, but it didn't close there. The key level is going to be 1280. We've touched that level twice, once last week and once uh, Monday morning. Every time we've touched it, we've had a huge sell-off back down to the 1250 or lower level. So that's the key resistance. We'll see if we can close above that tomorrow, Friday, 
which would necessitate about another $10 increase in the price of gold. I think that would be extremely significant. It would close above that resistance and not only on a daily chart, but on a weekly chart. And I think that the next move is going to take gold north of 1300. Maybe we get a move up to 1325 to 1350-ish. And the significance of what's going on here is that gold is strengthening even though the ECB is easing. And, you know, normally when the ECB eases, the dollar goes up. And even though negative interest rates and more QE in Europe are bullish for gold, because those uh, reckless, aggressive, inflationary monetary policies weakens the euro against the dollar, you typically see gold sell off because the dollar's rising. And I've always said that this doesn't make sense because the dollar's not strong. It's just that the euro is weak. And a weak euro is not bad for gold. But since everybody just trades gold off the dollar, anything that strengthens the dollar has been perceived as negative for gold, even if what's strengthening the dollar is weakness in another currency, because weak currencies are bullish for gold. But of course, the most bullish for gold is when it's the dollar that's weak. And that's what I think is about to happen, because now that Draghi has kind of let that cat out of the bag, that this is as easy as the ECB is going to go, that this is the end of their you know, negative interest rate limbo, that the bar is not going any lower than negative 0.4. And so I think what's going to happen going forward is now the markets are going to start to factor in the end of QE in Europe, the end of negative interest rates, because if this is as low as Europe is going to go, the next thing is going to be a tightening. So I think the easing cycle is over. I mean, they haven't ended QE yet, but I think the next thing that they're going to do in Europe is going to be to taper back their QE program or to reverse uh, the negative rates. That's coming. So the markets are now going to look forward to that. Meanwhile, the Fed is about to launch its new easing cycle. And it's starting from a very low level because interest rates are still only 25 basis points, right, to 50 basis points. But I believe as the ECB is ending its easing program, we are beginning our easing program. We're ending our tightening program. The Fed began tightening a couple of years ago when it started to taper talk, and it ended tightening when it raised interest rates by 25 basis points. I don't expect the Fed to raise interest rates again. They might surprise me and do it, but I doubt it. But, you know, the analyst from Goldman Sachs, the guy who was calling for $1,000 gold this year, and he's been bearish, 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 was back on CNBC today reiterating his bearish call because he believes the U.S. economy is recovering and that the Fed's going to raise interest rates three times in 2016. And that's why he thinks the price of gold is going down. First of all, he's completely wrong. The U.S. economy is not recovering. We are in recession. And because we're in recession, the Fed's ultimately going to cut rates, even if they raise them again. But here's the fact, something that this guy Curry from Goldman Sachs is overlooking, assuming he's just being honest and he's not just trying to talk the market lower to help uh, the traders at Goldman Sachs buy some gold uh, for cheaper. Even if you believe the Fed is going to raise interest rates three more times, and even if they do raise interest rates, let's say this guy is right and the Fed is that dumb, right? They actually raise interest rates during the recession, right? That doesn't mean gold's going to go down. What if gold goes up? What happened the last time the Fed raised interest rates? Gold is now $220 an ounce higher than it was the day after the last rate hike. So how do we know that if the Fed hikes rates again, 
go go up another 200 bucks. I mean, if you're going to say gold's going to go down because she thinks the Fed's going to raise rates, well, that's what they were saying before the Fed raised rates. And the Fed did raise rates and gold didn't go down. It went up. So even if I'm wrong and the Fed surprises me with another 25 basis point hike, I expect gold prices to keep going up. I don't think they're going to go down. But I think it's more likely that the Fed's not going to raise rates again. They're going to cut rates. And that is going to be extremely bullish for gold. In fact, you know, I was on Yahoo Finance. They have a live uh, interview I did. I did two. I did a live interview today at four something. And then I did a tape one that they're going to play on gold. But when I was talking about my thesis about why the Fed was going to be cutting rates, the lady that was interviewing me, she said, what do you mean? I mean, the economy is strong. We're creating all these jobs. Wages are growing. I mean, all one you know nonsense. I thought like maybe she was... You know, President Obama's uh, or Hillary Clinton's uh, speechwriter, Obama's, uh, you know, press secretary. I mean, but this is what people believe in the investment community. They've heard this lie so long that they actually believe it and they repeat it that the U.S. economy is so strong. And I, I went over all the bad economic news yesterday that we got so far this week on the economy. Yet it just, you know, people are oblivious to this. They don't even hear it. They're just so wedded to this narrative that everybody has believed for the last few years. And I've always said that this recovery was a mirage. And as soon as we actually got there, right, we would find out. Like you're in a desert and you think, you know, you see some water and you get there. And when you go to drink it, you got a handful of sand. That's what this recovery is. It's just a handful of sand that if you try to drink it, you're going to gag on it and end up spitting it out. And that's what's going to happen. And this whole you know, rally and the dollar is going to be reversed. And everybody is looking at the big turn we've seen in oil, the turn we've seen in commodities, and nobody on Wall Street believes it because they still believe that the Fed is going to be tightening. They still believe that there's this huge imbalance on supply and demand, and they're wrong. They don't get the dynamic. They don't understand what is changing. They don't see the dollar weakening. Yeah, the dollar strengthened a little bit today against some of the commodity currencies. But I think that had to do with cross-trading in the euro. But I think the commodity currencies that have been rising are going to continue to rise against the dollar. You're going to continue to see strength in Latin American currencies. You're going to continue to see strength in Southeast Asian currencies. And that means this commodity move is real. We are in a new bull market. And all of these naysayers from Wall Street coming out saying, short it, sell it, get out. This just shows me how little they actually understand about what's happened because they've been wrong for so long. They just didn't realize it. And now the markets are telling them how wrong they are, but they're tuning it out. They're oblivious to what the market is saying because they're trapped in their own bubbles. A couple of things I want to talk about. Also, I was watching on CNBC today and they were interviewing the CEO of uh, Nordic American Tanker and they were talking about protectionism and Donald Trump and tariffs and, you know, what would be the impact if, you know, we imposed all these tariffs. And this guy basically said, look, America is a, you know, insulated economy. Uh, Only 15 percent of your GDP is imports and exports. So, you know, you guys can wall yourself off. And then the, uh, the, the woman who was interviewing him, the host, says, yeah, and we'd be okay, right? And so they agreed that America would be fine even if we built huge walls and stopped all trade because we were somehow a self-contained, self-sufficient economy. I mean, how clueless can two people get? But this is how people think. First of all, 15% of GDP is still a lot, right? If we lost 15% of our GDP, 
I mean, that would be the worst recession ever. There'd be a depression. You can't just throw away 15% of GDP as if it was nothing. I mean, that is huge, right? But also, how naive are people who think that we're self-contained? First of all, we borrow a fortune from the rest of the world. I mean, you know, without foreigners lending us money, I mean, the whole bubble would implode. So we, we depend on the world more than any other country because we borrow from everybody all over the world, right? But also... When this guy is talking about trade, right, 15% of our GDP imports, exports. But if you look at what we import, it's pretty much all the stuff that we consume, all the manufactured goods, all the actual products are imported. And so if we couldn't import all those products anymore, if those products just ceased to exist, what would happen to the rest of our GDP? I mean, how much of our GDP is retail sales, right? All the shopping centers, all the malls, right? How much is that? Because if we can't import all those shops, all those stores, they shut down. All the people who work there, they get fired. So what would happen to our GDP under those circumstances? And, you know, even the things that we do make in America, we import most of the components. What we do in America is we assemble stuff. We import everything and then we put it together. But if we can't import it, there's nothing to assemble. So if we try to keep out foreign goods, our entire economy would implode because the service sector doesn't mean anything if there's no goods, right? If you can't buy consumer goods, then the whole thing's going to implode. So anybody who thinks that we would win some kind of trade war, we are the country that would lose bigger than anybody. We depend more than any other nation on trade. Because without trade, we wouldn't have anything to consume. All of our products are imported, and we're able to pay for it on credit. We don't even have to pay it. It's like, uh, what was that, Popeye, you know, Wimpy. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. That's what we do. We're Wimpy, and we keep telling people we'll gladly pay them in the future for anything today. And we get everything today, and we never pay anybody anything. Not Tuesday, not Wednesday, never. We don't pay anything. We just keep on sending IOUs. All that would come to an end, that our entire phony economy would implode. Yet you got people talking about how, you know, trade doesn't matter to us. It's the only thing that does. And again, it's not even trade. Trade is an exchange. We give somebody something and they give us something else. It's not trade when it's one way. We get stuff and we give nothing. We give a piece of paper. That's one of the things Donald Trump doesn't even understand. China's not taking advantage of us. We're taking advantage of them. We're getting real stuff that we could use, and we're giving them an IOU that's worthless. We're giving them a treasury bond that we're going to default on or we're going to inflate into oblivion. You know, also, speaking about the, uh, the retailers and stores closing, I mentioned this before when they had bad earnings, but Men's Warehouse, you know, uh, Joseph A. Bank, you know, you know, buy a pair of socks. We'll give you the whole store for free, right? Those guys, they're shutting 250 stores. They just announced the stock actually rallied a bit on that because it had been so beaten up. But again, this is more proof that we're not creating good jobs because when people get jobs, they buy suits. Unless, of course, they got a minimum wage job at a retailer, then they don't need a suit. They get a uniform. And that is the problem. Not enough young men are getting jobs, so the men's warehouse isn't selling any suits because the young men aren't landing these jobs. Even though they have college degrees, they don't need a suit. And so this shows you, this is more proof that the jobs we're creating are bogus, low-paying jobs that don't require their employees to wear suits. Now, one final topic. I didn't even, again, know about this until I saw the interview, again, on CNBC. 
But a couple of U.S. senators have introduced a bill. They want to cap the fees that airlines charge when you want to change your reservation or they want to cap the fee uh, that they can charge to check luggage. And, you know, you know, one of the reasons that they probably do all this is because, you know, it helps the government because it's not probably in the CPI, right? When they start charging you extra for meals and extra for luggage, uh, they probably can pretend that airfares aren't rising, right? So probably it helps out the government with their with the CPI numbers. But the real reason that airlines are doing this is they're trying to price their services to kind of maximize their profitability, but also make the individual traveler bear the cost in proportion to uh, the assumption of the cost so that people who want to travel without checking a bag or people who don't want a meal can actually get a cheaper fare. And in fact, now airlines are charging more money for the aisle seats, for example, because more people want the aisle seats. But that means if you're if you're going to sit in the middle seat, you might get a better deal, right? But this is all the free market. This is how uh, companies work. Nobody's forcing anybody to fly on a particular airline. There is competition. Airlines compete with one another. And of course, they compete with other modes of transportation. You can drive yourself. You could take a bus. You could take a train, right? There's other ways that you can get places. Or you could just decide not to travel, right? So uh, corporations, you know, deal this out. This is the free market. This is how it works. Yet these senators are grandstanding because they know people are pissed off when they have to pay to check their baggage or they have to pay, uh, you know, to change their ticket. So these guys want to get votes and they say, okay, we're going to protect you. We're from the government. We're here to protect you. We're going to make sure these big evil corporations don't rip you off and charge you just because you want to check your luggage or because you want to change your reservation. Now, First of all, why do they even care what an airline wants to charge to check luggage? I mean, it's peanuts, $25, $35. I mean, these guys are taxing us. The, the amount of money that the average American pays in taxes dwarfs what they pay in fees uh, for check baggage or to change their airline tickets. Why don't the senators try to figure out how they can lower my taxes instead of trying to save me a few bucks on, on checking my baggage? Because that could really matter. Right? I'm paying a fortune in taxes. These guys are squandering my money, all sorts of programs that we should abolish, all, cost, all sorts of money they're wasting, yet they waste time trying to impose regulations on airlines so that they don't charge me too much to check my bags. I mean, this is not why these guys are there, right? And people forget that. People forget about all the money we pay in taxes. Who cares about these fees? Meanwhile, air travel in America is certainly inexpensive. It's a lot less expensive than it was when the government was in charge and the government was running the show and fixing prices. Ever since they got out of it and they deregulated, airfares have come down and more people are able to afford to travel. Now, they're going up now because, you know, we're a poorer country, but this stuff is nonsense. But what would happen if the government said, there's limits to what you can charge. You can't charge for the seats. You can't charge more than this for baggage, or you can't charge uh, this much money to make uh, changes to your reservations. What the airlines would have to do then is just raise their base fares because the fact that you pay extra for check baggage means that your base fare is less money. And then if you want baggage, then you add it. But if you don't want baggage, then you get the cheaper fare. But if the government comes in and starts capping all these various fees and takes away the ability of the airline 
to price the products the way it wants. It now has to price its products the way the government wants. And the net result of that is going to be everybody is going to end up paying more money for airfare. So rather than saving us money, they're going to cost us money. And I heard, you know, this senator basically on CNBC saying, look, these guys, they can charge whatever they want. No, they can't. They can't charge whatever they want because you're not going to buy the ticket. Right. And there is competition. And even if an airline is the only airline that flies, you know, from point A to point B, they still can't charge whatever they want to check your bag because you'll, you'll travel with less stuff. You, you'll take a carry on. Right. Or, you know, you can FedEx your luggage. It doesn't cost that much money to send a suitcase overnight to your destination. So if they try to charge you $100 or $200 to check your luggage, well, you can ship at FedEx, right? So there, there are all sorts of ways. They can't do whatever they want, right? That's a, that's a free market. Yet our senators who are in government don't understand how the free market works. Maybe if we didn't have career politicians that lived their life in Washington, they would know that if we had term limits or we had some way of getting rid of these guys so that you can't have a permanent career in Washington— you might understand how this country is supposed to work. You might understand the principles upon which the country was founded because we have people governing the country that are completely clueless about how the country is supposed to work. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is truth in media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with truthinmedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, truthinmedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthinmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks to truth to power. It's also where you can tune into the Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthinmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access to Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed.